Well, today on A Voice in the Distance, we're going to be going through chapters 11 and 12 of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapters 11. That's a very small chapter, 10 verses, through part of 12. And we're getting, again, we're getting close to that ending of the plagues, but we're getting towards the very end. You know, there's that old saying that, that we, we save the best for last, but you see, in this case, it's the complete opposite. The plagues were the worst for last. And God, again, was merciful to people when he was trying to warn them what was to come. He gave opportunity after opportunity to let his people go to worship him. But the Pharaoh, he just kept hardening his heart. And God would harden his heart as well. It was a no-win situation for the Pharaoh. It was a no-win situation for his own kingdom. And in the previous chapter, if you had listened uh, to uh, chapter 10 of Exodus, I titled that one, Living in Darkness. And again, living in darkness was not just from a spiritual or a metaphorical form, but for them it was also a literal form. See, it's interesting because depending on where you live um, in the world or in the United States, um, wherever you might be up in Canada, there's, there's certain areas that have weather conditions. And, and there's a certain type of thing that we like to call seasonal affective disorder. And if you, if you could uh, figure out the abbreviations, <laughs> it comes out to the word sad. Seasonal affective disorder. And a lot of times people who suffer from that are people who live in regions where say that it's uh, very cloudy and rainy a lot of times. Um, if, if, you're in the, if you're in the state of Alaska, they have a very interesting uh, weather pattern over there when it, comes to, when it comes to constant light or dark, when it comes to snow. And it's amazing because this seasonal affective disorder has done quite a number on certain people over time. It's caused depression. It has caused many different things and ailments in people. It's even gotten to the point to where certain areas have the highest suicide rates due to this particular disorder. And it's gotten to the point to where it's interesting if you've ever done research on it. Well, there's symptoms, there's things that people look at. They, they even look for certain ways to help. What can I do to help this particular seasonal affective disorder to help me get through it? And really, can you? Because there's uh, the treatments that seem to have been uh, diagnosed were medication, <laughs> psychotherapy, and light therapy. Well... That's an interesting concept, light therapy. See, in chapter 10, there was no way that was going to happen in the land of Egypt, except for where the Jews were in the land of Goshen, who was surrounded by light. But throughout the whole land of Egypt, in complete and utter darkness. And, and, and that, that is a scary feeling, because that type of atmosphere does a number on you. It does a number on you, considering the fact that, okay, certain areas that might suffer from depression because of its constant cloudiness and raininess, what did that do for the areas that were in complete and utter blackness? That is a form, that is a form of, of, uh, of emotional torture, spiritual torture. 
Why did God do this? Because Pharaoh was living in darkness himself. He was getting a glimpse of what it was that he was in for. And what it was his kingdom was in for if he did not surrender. But you see again, see God knew he wouldn't surrender. God knew what was to come, he told Moses. But he had to, he had to do it. It was, going to, it was going to come, it had to be done. Because God had to make himself known that, that he was in charge and not Pharaoh and not all of these many gods that they relied on in which were being attacked. Okay, again, Pharaoh claimed to have been a descendant of the sun god. Well, I think uh, God, who was Yahweh, <laughs> proved exactly who he was and in the form that the sun was not shining over there in the land of Egypt that day. Or at least for the past few days. There was three days of complete and utter darkness. So let's take a look here on what happens next here. On chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 real quick. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people. And let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Now, the last and worst of the plagues to come was the death of every firstborn male in Egypt. See, God made known the distinct difference of those of Egypt and the Israelites. See, anyone who obeyed by doing what God commanded by putting the blood of the lamb above the, door, uh, the doorpost will be spared of death. And this is a 10-verse chapter, and what I'll explain before, um, before we dive into chapter 12, but it's time to move on, right? 400 and some years in Egypt, and a lot of those years were out of slavery and, slavery and abuse, they were given gold and silver and jewels from Egyptian neighbors. And it was God's way of payment for years of suffering, years of slave labor, and getting nothing for it. See, that's not the way of the Lord. We will see his commands on treating those who work for you. And the payment for one's labor, which is right. Because it is amazing how a leader, um, a king or a political figure, a boss even... Uh, let's even go with a church leader will actually go as far as risking calamity and destruction as long as someone else is to blame. Well, this news to Pharaoh should have done it. it should have done it. That should have done it. And again, I said before, I'll continue to say, man, the first plague would have done it for me. I'm weak. <laughs> okay, I don't suffer from stubbornness. But I tell you, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this should have done it after observing everything that happened. This news that Pharaoh should have done it because a, a true leader is about the people, not themselves, and, and not their personal agendas or those in their, in their little circle. The Israelites were most likely fine with leaving empty-handed. Just get us out of here. But you see, here, here's the amazing love of our just God. that He says, no, I'm going to, to not just move you on safely, but I'm going to bless you beyond that. 
Because throughout the small chapter 11, it was all it was was just basically instruction and a reminder that no one will stop you. Not even a dog's tongue will be moving because we all know that dogs, uh, dogs react to movement and noise. So God is in chapter 11 was just basically letting them know that you're not going to have any issues. You're going to be able to move out quietly. Not even a dog's tongue will move because, you know, again, the slightest little uh, move a dog makes, they're going to be barking. So at midnight, when it's dark, Egypt will be less populated. There will be no more building walls or structures. And I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that it it probably stopped there for a long time once they left. There wasn't too many things being built anymore. Their their, their free slave labor was going to be moving on. But, But again, Pharaoh will not hear his words. As Moses will tell the Pharaoh that your servants will bow down to me and say, get out and take your people. Now, if you've ever observed a power-hungry dictator to hear someone say that your servants will bow down to another is the ultimate of humiliation. See, the rest of the Egyptians will tell the people to go and you can do nothing about it or say anything about it. So this chapter was the setting of the stage for the move. God told Moses, time's up. It's, it, it's coming down and it's going to get bad. Now, we didn't see in the book of Exodus if any Egyptians by chance obeyed God and put the blood on the doorpost out of fear and reverence. But I can say with confidence that if anyone did, there would be a sparing of the death. Because people read this and say, how awful. How awful that God would do this. Let me remind us that God did amazing things in Egypt when the Coptic church formed many years later. If God was a, if God was against them so bad, he would have never allowed that to happen. But he did, and, and he welcomed them into his presence when worshipped and followed. And this was, due, this was due to the Pharaoh and all those who followed his wickedness. See, this is why the plagues hit. Okay, this is why it was hit. It was not just because of uh, because of a situation. It was because God is just. But again, we can see ourselves and say, I would have surrendered at plague one. So let's go ahead and take a look now in chapter 12 and verse 1 through 6. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him, uh, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, that you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So as the Israelites were were making their way out of Egypt, God was instructing them to create a holiday. It it was more of a holy day, but but we call them holidays today. This was the first of what will be seven ordained feasts. That the Lord uh, creates. And this is what we know as the Passover. Now nine feasts are, are typically celebrated in Israel. But seven of them were ordained by God. Uh, two of them were created by, by Israel. The country of Israel. Which were uh, Hanukkah and Purim. 
which were actually gladly celebrated by the hand of God and his deliverance in both of those situations. But this was the first. See, something, there's something special. Something special in many countries celebrated Day of Independence. But this was a celebration like no other, okay? Slavery and abuse. 400 years of living in a land that was just a holding place. And then became a prison of suffering. Now being delivered to a promised home as God fulfilled the promise. And to, to this day, it's still being celebrated. As God said, these were to be remembered and celebrated forever. Every man shall take himself a lamb, and it shall be without blemish. And if a household is too small, then it, that it's to be shared with your neighbor. So later in years, it was determined by the religious leaders that, okay, that, that ten people should be efficient for each Passover lamb. But no more than 20 people. So it, it was to feed the family during the feast as well as a, cer a ceremonial celebration. So if there was a smaller household, then it was to be combined for not wasting anything with your neighbor. If your neighbor had a small family and you had maybe a few more, then you would combine together. See, the lamb was to be without blemish and sacrifice to the Lord. As anything given to God was required to be the best. Because his gifts to the people were beyond anything we could ever give to him. So this was not out of reach. And God is not out of reach unless we defile ourselves in his name. For, for he is without blemish. And, and so the sacrifice was to be as pure as can be. Why would God request a lamb to be raised and then have this done in the form of sacrifice? Right, The lamb was to be cherished, of course, and, and then it was to be mourned. Because what God has done for us is precious. And we as people can become very forgetful. We can become very ungrateful eventually when we do not remember things done and sacrificed for the sake of others. And then eventually it is no longer cherished. It becomes just another holiday for the sake of a day off from work or school. It, it becomes more exciting for that versus the reasons for the actual celebration. And we see the all-knowing provisions of God, the creator of earth, heaven, and the universe. He was also the creator of time. Right? He was the creator of time. You shall kill at twilight because his timing is perfect. Is we will see, we will see why it was to be done at twilight because preparation for the move was vital. Passover was celebrated at the very end of March through a part of April depending on certain calendar years. And the timing was good as, as weather in the desert of Egypt was a, a little more forgiving at this time although they, they'll have experience, uh, they'll be experiencing the summers in the area as, as of 40 years of travel. But God is still good and perfect in his ways and timing. And although we may not celebrate these particular um, feasts, if you will, I pay close attention to why it's celebrated. Because it gives a perspective of God and, and what he wants and what he did. Let's take a look here at, at uh, verse 7 to 13. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the, and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. 
ye shall let none of it remain until morning. In what remains of it until morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus ye shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. Now the, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood on the door, fra- uh, blood on the door frame was an identification of those who were of God, those who were going to be on the move. It was like uh, it was like the form of an ancient style passport. Those houses would be skipped over in the death plague to come. It was all on the basis of faith and obedience. And the lamb that was killed was to be eaten, and eaten in its entirety. Why? Because they're on the move, right? Their strength will be needed. And while doing so, it was also done in worship to God, while in trust of God. We see Christ Jesus in the form of the lamb, unblemished, a willing sacrifice by the blood of Christ. And for those who received him will be overshadowed by death themselves when our time has come. And again, when he was crucified, it actually happened to be right at the time of Passover. (laughs) So we too can come together in celebration to remember the sacrifice from the bondage of sin. And by that, we remember that in communion, which is what we call the Lord's Supper. It's what we call it. It came, it came together in God's time. Take a look at verse 14 to 20 with me. It says, So this day shall be to you as a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall, um, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No, man, no manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared for you. So you shall observe the feast on, on, of unleavened bread, for on this the same day I will have brought your arm, armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And for seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats that leaven, that person shall be cut off from the generation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. So now we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, is this, this was a reminder of what they had to do before leaving in a hurry. You're to bake bread, but you're to do it without leaven. Okay, no time to use it. And second, leaven was representation of a form of sin. See, God delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And leaven was, like a, uh, leaven was like a used piece of dough that became dirty. And it was reused in another batch to make the bread swell and rise. That's what leaven was, technically, in order to, to pump it up. The, the removal from Egypt was a new life. It was a symbol of no leaven in your life. Yet, alone in the bread that they consume... 
really the manna that they made was actually healthier than leavened bread. You know, God will actually provide that same type of manna from heaven during the journey. And I'm pretty sure that that manna was a whole lot better than anything that man made. We could look at Israel years later just to give you a little insight. Uh, Israel years later they they stopped celebrating this okay for for a time because Israel had gone astray over a period of years and and over that time frame one of their good kings when they started to um, when they started to have kings in the kingdom of Israel one of their good kings named Hezekiah will reinstate the Passover and that could be found in the in the book of Second Chronicles chapter thirty and when he did. When Hezekiah reinstated the Passover feast, the, the, the health of the people actually improved. And then we can look in the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 11. It was instructed on taking communion, the Lord's Supper. It was instructed on taking in an unworthy, unworthy manner. Right, Having leaven in our hearts, it will cause sickness. So it was more important to have obedience to the instruction. If you've been following the Bible over the years, or if you've been listening to the messages on the media page, you can see that in all ways, whenever God instructed the people on anything, it was for benefit, not for downfall. It was for their best, never for confusion. So for seven days, they must eat only unleavened bread. I'm not exactly the, it's not exactly the most desired thing, but again, it was for their benefit. The move will be many. It, it, it'll be tedious and, and they'll need to keep up. And manna just happened to be the perfect food to pack light with the abilities to fill you up. And if you've ever seen it, they still eat it today. It's actually good stuff. And if, if God says something, if God, if God says something, it's best to do it, right? <laughs> uh, on top of it, what he does give us is better than any man-made thing. The key is to stay close to him because the goal for, for them here is the promised land. But the ultimate goal is heaven. And that is for us now. That is our promised land as, as believers. So let's continue in verse 14. I'm going to look at verse 14 through 18. So this shall be to you as a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done, but that which everyone must eat, that only, uh, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread on this day. On the same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. So therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month of the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. So basically I'm gonna, as uh, we've hit there, I'm also gonna explain verses 19 through 28 where we're gonna stop because again it's just, it's basically again just kind of a repetition of, of the reminder. See God knows the mind of people. He knows we have to be reminded of things. So the Passover will be instituted. After it is all said and done, you shall celebrate every year for all times. God knows how to celebrate. 
You know, heaven is a celebration in eternity. But see, he gives us a reason here on earth to celebrate as well. You know, there's people out there that throw parties, but God is the party. If if you are of that person who throws a party, and you get an invite, right? The people who obeyed what God said will be survivors. They'll be survivors first and foremost, foremost but will be invited to the celebration. And, and again, God is just and loving. And, and figure this. Again, I mentioned it before. Figure this. If an Egyptian heeded what God said and put the blood above their door, they would be spared. If an Israelite did not, they would not be spared because he clearly said what would happen. He flat out said, if, if as long as I see the blood above your door, I'm going to pass over your house. Right now, if an Egyptian did, we didn't. We didn't hear about it, but we do know. We do know. As years later, when Moses was addressing the laws of God, other feasts were were ordained by God. Everyone in Israel would be required to show, uh, especially men at age twenty or older. But God also invited the foreigners living in the land as well to all the feasts. He invited a visitor living in Israel to share in the celebration, to see the goodness of God, and to see why people celebrate Him. And now in verses 19 through uh, through 28 again was just instruction again. No leaven in your house for baking bread. No sin in the house as a representation of what it was. Uh, The elders were were called for um, instruction on dipping the blood with hyssop plant. To dip it in the blood and then to strike the doorpost with it. That was the instructions on verses 19 to 28. Because hyssop, it'll be used later for many things. Um, It'll be used in the cleansing of sins for sacrifices by the priests to come. It'll be used to apply uh, to water for purification. And, And if I remember correctly, there was also some medical benefits used in the hyssop plant. Uh, but last, last but not least, it was used at the cross when it was offered to Christ. Because what they did was, is if you remember, they dipped a sponge with sour vinegar, wine, wine vinegar, and they dipped it in hyssop. And, and typically it was used as a painkiller. Well, the Lord Jesus didn't take it. He took the pain for us. What, what God did for them on this event was to be remembered for all generations in Israel. A wonderful work of redemption for them at that time. And praise be to God because he was not finished. He had another form of deliverance to be had because death was coming to so many. And not just physical death but spiritual. And another form of sacrifice was to be had for all nations once and for all. You know so many questions. There's been so many questions of heaven that have been asked over the years. And the Bible gives us a little picture and insight of it. But that picture cannot be painted by the most skilled artist. It'll be indescribable, the feeling. It'll be indescribable, the things heard. It'll be indescribable, period. We had the Apostle Paul, who got to see it briefly, to tell us the same thing when they stoned him to death and he was brought up to heaven. See, the way to heaven was paved for us with a great price. Jesus said that that gold is of no worth in heaven because the streets there are paved with gold. Now for us it's a big thing here, but see, he paved the way to heaven with his blood. 
It was done for the love of all mankind. The Bible teaches us that God knew us before we were in the womb. So it was done for you and I as well. No matter how or how old we are, no matter what our age is or where we're from, the choice must be made to do what the Israelis did by the lamb. And the blood on the post, right? But for us, at this time, praise God, it is simple. No bloodshed needed. It's It's been done already. Just a simple prayer to receive the Lord Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And to do so in truth of heart. And you will be His. And you will be in the protected hands of the Lord with a ticket to heaven free of charge. Question now is, is do you want it? Do you want that free ticket that was already paved for you by a heavy price of bloodshed? All he wants is is your heart and your relationship. He wants you to walk with him because, see, he loves you. He loves me. And he allows the likes of people like me to do what I'm doing. I do not do what I do For for the sake of entertainment, I do not do what I do for the sake of of uh, feeling accomplishment for something. I do this. I do what I do for the love of God first and foremost. I do what I do for the for the obedience to the call, and I do what I do for the love of everyone out there. Because again, there are many long lost relatives, brothers and sisters that I cannot wait to meet one day, whether it be here on earth or in heaven. There's many, there's many fish in the ocean, but there's not a whole lot of fishermen trolling the waters. But again, God wants you. He's been wanting you because He loves you. He created you. And maybe now is the time. Maybe now is the time to say, you know what, God? I feel something. I feel something. I believe in you. I believe in everything that was said. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So if you're feeling that nudge to to say, I want eternal life. Well, your chance is right now. A simple prayer can do that for you. If you would care just to repeat it after me in truth of heart. Repeat after me. if, If you feel that the Lord has spoken to you now, dear God. Please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross, Lord. I ask of you, Lord, to cleanse me of all of my sins, Lord. Cleanse me as I receive you into my heart, as my Lord and my Savior. Father, I thank you, Lord, for having me, for dying for me, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that I will walk with you for all of my days. That you would stay close, Lord, as I draw near to you. I thank you for having me, Lord, as I love you, Father. I praise you and I receive you now. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, again, it is that precious name. Because it was precious blood that was shed. Oh, he loves us so much, you know, and... You know, again, during this time in life that we live, we're gonna we're gonna face hardships just like the Israelis did. We're gonna we're gonna face uh, hardships in many things. 
But one day, it's all going to stop. One day, we're going to be with Him. As darkness closes in on our last day on earth, the brightest light we'll ever see will be had in front of us. And that will be by the presence of God on His throne. So rejoice in that. But while you're here, may you do the best for Him. Because He deserves it. May we walk together in truth. And may God's love be with you always. May God bless you.